Colossians chapter 4, last Sunday we began the message entitled, What Kind of Fellow Are You? Using the prefix of the word that Paul used multiple times when he would say, fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, fellow helpers, and many other ways he would use that prefix. It's someone who's joined together in a cause, a fellow. And so we looked at four fellows, and this is not fellows confined to the masculine gender, but uh, female fellows as well. Uh, we looked at Tychicus, who was a faithful brother, along with Aristarchus and Justus. These were faithful fellows. And then we looked at one fellow and represented all the fervent fellows, which was Epaphras, who was one of them, a beloved brother. He was saluting the church, and he was laboring fervently in prayer. Now we have six people left that we'll look at this morning. Six people, we'll put them in three categories. And the six people that are left are Luke, Demas, and Nympha. Then Archippus, and then Onesimus and Marcus. Six people, if I counted right, three categories. So we're going to skip around a little bit. We'll start in verse 17 with Archippus. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, so that you fulfill it. Now who is Archippus? Archippus is mentioned here, Colossians 4.17. He's also mentioned in Philemon 1.2. It appears from Philemon that Archippus is the son of Philemon. Because when Paul writes the letter to Philemon, he will say he's writing to Philemon first, a beloved brother, but he's also writing to Apphia, a female, and to Archippus, a fellow soldier, and to the church which is in thy, Philemon's house, which is believed to be the church Colossae. Now why is Paul singling out Philemon, Apphia, female, and Archippus, and then the church. Because the church was meeting in the house of Philemon, which likely also the house of Apphia, which was his wife, and the son, which is Archippus. Now that's believed to be the case and why Paul would single these three people out when he's writing to Philemon and then mention he's writing to the church meeting in their house. So Archippus is likely the son of Philemon, but also, more importantly here, Archippus has a ministry. So Paul is speaking of Archippus and saying, Take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, so that when you're taking heed to it, you are then fulfilling that ministry. Now, this is an exhortation to Archippus, and there's two views about this exhortation. One is that Paul is simply encouraging Archippus to fulfill it. To fulfill means to bring it to completion, carry it through, carry it out. We could say, finish it, Archippus. Paul would speak similarly to Timothy, using a different word, when he would say to Timothy, But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. Not the same word, but the same idea. Timothy, in every respect, bring your ministry to completion. Make full proof of it. So, some people say that he's just encouraging Archippus to do that very thing. The reason would be because Epaphras, which is believed to be the founding pastor of the church at Colossae, was with Paul in Rome at this time. You'll see in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, he sends greetings to you. You know, if you're ever with someone and they're leaving to go back home, you may say, well, tell your family hello, which means you're with the person and they're leaving to go back to family. So, Paul is sending greetings from Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church, which means he is with Paul in Rome. And it's believed that he took a trip to Rome to see Paul. Also in Colossians 1.8, Epaphras declared unto Paul their love, the church at Colossae's love in the Spirit. So he had made that known to Paul probably personally. So it's believed then that Archippus is with 
the church, while Epaphras is in Rome, and so either temporarily or maybe permanently, Archippus now is the pastor of the church at Colossae. So Paul then would encourage him, just as a matter of a simple exhortation, hey, take heed to the ministry, you're in it now, take heed to the ministry, and bring it to completion. That's one view. The second view is something is happening in Archippus' life that he's neglecting the ministry. This is the other view. A couple of reasons for this, maybe three. One, he addresses Archippus publicly. Paul could have done that if there's not a problem, but he addresses him publicly. You know, Archippus was likely sitting in the congregation, or maybe he was reading the letter. Suppose your name was mentioned. Tell brother so-and-so, tell sister so-and-so, take heed to the gifts they've been given and, and make sure you bring it to completion. That could presuppose that person's neglecting it, maybe not, maybe just wanted to encourage that person. Secondly, he tells the church to tell Archippus. It's rather interesting, isn't it? So somebody's reading aloud, says, now look, church of Colossae, here's Archippus on the front row, you tell Archippus to fulfill his ministry. Suggesting some kind of accountability, we know that's true in the Bible, now, the upshot is, if, if Archippus doesn't fulfill the ministry, what's the impact on the church? It's huge, right? So they have an interest in Archippus fulfilling the ministry. So Paul could have called his name out publicly and told the church to do this because they needed to encourage him along because maybe he's neglecting to some degree. I'm going to just move that out to see if that'll help. Okay. And so those are a couple of reasons that some would suggest that Archippus is neglecting his ministry and he's slowing down in some way or some degree. Now, so which path are we going to take? Well, I lean to the fact that probably Paul is encouraging him. If that were the case, we would call this the finishing fellows. But I want to address the negative side of it. And so we're going to call this faltering fellows, because using the word take heed, which means focus the attention, look to it, see to it, blepo, turn your mind to it, doesn't mean that he's neglecting, but it does suggest there's a threat that's looming large. So I want to deal with the threat of faltering. Okay? I'm not saying that this is the position that he's faltering. But I want to address the threat. This word is used in Colossians 2.8. You'll remember, Beware, take heed, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. What was looming large at Colossae was the Gnostic teachers which would take people captive away from Christ. And so Paul uses the same Greek word. Beware or take heed. Be careful. So, Archippus may not be neglecting anything, but the threat that looms large for Archippus is what? If he needs to take heed to the ministry, the threat is he may not and he can neglect the ministry, right? The exhortation would make no sense. In any ministry... The ministry can be neglected in such a way that it's not brought to its completion. It's not carried through. It's not completed. And so we want to address that side of the threat, which is faltering fellows. What does faltering mean? It means to lose steam or to lose momentum. It's like a football team on the field. When you've got momentum... You convert third downs into a first down, right? First down, first down. Momentum means ability to just make progress. The team that keeps going three downs and they're off the field, the offense, we would say that there's no momentum. They're not getting anywhere. They're not getting down the field. Now, that team is still on the field, correct? They haven't quit the game. And if Archippus was neglecting his ministry, he's still in the ministry, He's still on the field. But when this threat becomes a reality in any of our lives, 
what happens? We lose steam. We lose momentum. Maybe we're spinning our wheels in ministry. Could this be describing you this morning? Have you lost momentum? Are you losing steam? Are you slowing down? Do you feel like your wheels are spinning and you're, you're not making any progress down the field of ministry? Well, there are two things I want to address to help us with that. Just two. We could obviously go to many places in the Bible. We've got to keep it just to two this morning. One is that if Archippus was given a ministry... Notice he says, take heed to the ministry which thou hast given in the Lord, or which you've uh, received in the Lord. That means he's first embraced the responsibility, right? To receive the ministry means he recognized the call, and then he embraces the responsibility of that ministry fully. All right? Now you may be asking, how does that apply to me? If Archippus is a minister now in the official capacity of an elder or pastor, then you're not talking to me. Well, to broaden that application a bit, all of you have received ministry. You have ministry in the verb sense. Diakoneo means to serve. And often in the Bible, to minister is to give service to one another. And so 1 Peter 4, 10 would say, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So somebody says, How many ministers do you have at Heritage? Well, everybody's a minister. Not in the official capacity, but everyone is to minister. Because everyone here that is a believer in Jesus Christ has received a gift or gifts and the expectation, the responsibility that God has laid on you when you receive that gift by acknowledging it is what? Minister that gift. Have you embraced the responsibility of ministering to one another? Or in Ephesians 4, 12, uh, Christ, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. What gifts? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now surely those categories of official uh, Positions or offices in the church are for the work of the ministry, but when Paul continues in verse 16, he makes clear the perfecting or equipping of the saints and the work of ministry and the edification is for every member of the church. Verse 16, we're fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint, every person is supplying to do what? To edify the body, edify itself in love. So in that sense... Everyone that is a believer has received gift or gifts, and the expectation, the responsibility then that you take from that is you are edifying one another. Edifying. So let's think of that in terms of just accepting the responsibility of church membership. Right? We live in a culture that many Christians reject the whole idea of church membership, and then when we follow Jesus and become members... We need to embrace the responsibilities of what membership means. See, we're applying this ministry to ministering. You have received responsibility. That just means you have a duty, you have a job. Just like when you go to work, your superior, your boss says, here's the expectation, this is what you're responsible to do, this is what we expect you to do. So when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, Here's the responsibility. Here's what I'm expecting you to do. Here's what I want you to do and relying on me that you're making progress in your life. So, just to give you a few. You're responsible to pursue holiness. Have you lost steam? Have you lost the momentum of holiness? Follow peace with all men. Holiness without, no man shall see the Lord. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be holy in all manner of conversation. That requires, as the word follows says, to pursue it. So, what does church membership mean? God places on you the expectation of being holy like He is. Or to be loving. To grow in, in, in holiness is to grow in, in loving God and loving your neighbor. And He says, pursue holiness. So that's an expectation from God. 
Secondly, preserve the gospel. Galatians 1.6 I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ and you've been moved to another gospel. Did you know He's not talking to elders there? He's talking to churches. The elders brought the false gospel. Who's going to catch Him? The church. You are responsible as a church member for preserving the gospel. Now that doesn't have to be done with suspicion. Oh. I heard what he said. Oh, but would you recognize if another gospel was being preached? It's a discerning of another gospel. Well, that's your responsibility. See? Are you the kind of church member that said, well, somebody else would do that? I mean, you know, that brother that, or sister that knows a lot about the Bible. No, every one of you are responsible for preserving the gospel. Ephesians 4 3, preserving the unity of the church. Well, that's the pastor's job. Well, yeah, it's part of it. But Paul says to the church at Ephesus, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, striving to keep unity. Are you a unity cultivator? I was trying to search for a word. Are you a unity breaker? If the church doesn't have unity, partly, we could all say it's our fault, partly, if we're not pursuing unity. So, you've received gifts, and as a church member, you're to be preserving unity. You're to attend regularly, not forsaking the assembly of the saints. That doesn't mean you're not going to miss any time. Certainly, that's going to happen. But there's a commitment to be at the house of God, where your membership is, on a regular, consistent basis. Only missing when occasions may call for it because it's unavoidable. Otherwise, the expectation God says is, don't forsake that assembly. Be part of it. Be here. To live communally with one another. Colossians 2.14 or 19, you remember. I'll read it. Colossians 2.19, and not holding the head. That is, the false teachers are not holding the head, which implies church. You're holding the head from which all the body, the church, by joints and bands, by means of joints and bands, that's Church members, having nourishment ministered, how does the nourishment get ministered? From the head through the joints and bands. What happens? And knit together. Increase with the increase of God. You're to be knit together. That's a responsibility. So God is saying that text. I expect the body connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ, to get their nourishment through one another as they live communally together. Knit together. And then the parallel, Ephesians 4.16. The body is edified in love. That means discipleship. That means encouraging one another. That means building one another up. See? If everybody becomes a church member and says, well, that's somebody else's job. I'll just go on Sunday. But I'm, I'm not going to knit together with anybody. See, we've got to be intentional in such a way that we are being purposeful and deliberate in being this kind of church. That means we've got to think in terms of how can I knit together? How can I participate? How can I fulfill the responsibilities that God has laid on me in ministry? Not official capacity, but we're all in ministry. What do I need to be doing? Do I, does someone always need to call me or do I need to reach out to someone else? See, these are... Question to ask. To serve faithfully, Galatians 5. Brothers, you've been called to liberty. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love, serve one another. So we're in the ministry of serving one another. And God has laid that expectation upon us that we are expected, it's our responsibility, it's our job, it's our task to serve each other in the body. Have you lost momentum? Are you losing steam? Or are you taking heed to ministry or serving that you've received from the Lord? We've all received this responsibility from God as being followers of Christ. Are you fulfilling it? Are you bringing it to completion? Are you faltering? Have you become distracted? We all need this exhortation, don't we? Oh, how easy it is to become distracted. How easy it is to lose momentum. How easy it is to lose steam. And wonder sometimes how you even got there. 
This is a good exhortation for the church. We're to watch carefully over one another. This is all in our covenant. Why do we read that church covenant? Why do we ever read that? It just summarizes nicely for us to help us remember what we've been called to do. Go to the Bible and get all the verses, but it just summarizes in paragraph form. Hey, let's remember what God's called us to do and let us not lose steam and momentum in doing it. Consider one another to love, to provoke unto love and good works. So we watch over one another, we think about one another, we want to stir each other to provoke and good works. And then there's last and probably least, it is last and it is the least in our minds, attend members meetings. Now, why did you have to say that, Pastor? Those boring things, because we believe in congregational church polity and government with pastoral leadership. The reason I'm a Baptist is because of five words, as I've said before. Tell it to the church. That seals it, among other things. You're accountable and responsible to come to something as boring as the members' meeting because we believe in church, congregational, government, pastoral leadership. But if you say, well, that's, we'll let other people do that. God expects you, based on what the Bible says, to participate. Now, how that gets done, you know, I guess we could all, wouldn't be forbidden to do our members' meeting by email or whatever. But the point is, if this is the way God says it, then we've got to have some forum where that's played out uh, in, in our life and in, in receiving members, uh, dismissing members in all the ways that we do congregational government. That, that, that is least in some ways, but it's part of what it means to be a responsible church member. So we've received ministry of sorts, different from archipus, different from apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but we've received gifts to minister to one another, and we've received responsibility from the Lord in which we have received those gifts of grace. And what does He expect? He expects us to be certain kind of church members. So we can all lose momentum and steam. But perhaps God today is speaking to you because He knows if you're losing steam. He knows if I'm losing steam. And He wants you to pick up the steam and get back on the field and start making some first downs by grace. By the grace of God. Using an illustration of momentum. And then secondly, we need to take heed to ourselves. Take heed to yourselves. If Archippus is going to take heed to the congregation, which that's who he's ministering to, you know, if the church says to Archippus, you know, it's a two-way street here, say to Archippus, you go to Archippus, say, Archippus, fulfill your ministry. He says, okay, you are my ministry. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Come under the ministry, right? This is a a thing that joins together. So there's got to be responsibility to come under the the authority of, of the church body, to come under that discipleship, to be part of it, to humble yourself, be a part of it, right? And to be part, to come under the ministry, or it never works. And so Archippus, take heed to the ministry, which is the church, but Archippus, you need to take heed to yourself first. And somebody says, I was waiting for him to talk about me time. I need some me time. Well, yeah, this is me time, but it's not that kind of me time, right? What do I mean by that? Well, Acts chapter 20, Paul would tell the elders and bishops at Ephesus when he would see their face no more. His last time he would see them on earth because he was going to die before he ever saw them again. Into that scene they they hugged one another and and wept and shed tears. It was a great affection Paul had for these people and all of his brothers and sisters in Christ. So on that occasion he charged them and said, I have shunned, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Right? I am free from the blood of all men. Why are you free, Paul? Because I have not shunned. I've not kept back. I've not concealed any part of God's counsel. I've given you all. Take heed, therefore. So there's our our warning, which means something can be a threat, that it's not a threat if, if this happens. So take heed, therefore, unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He's purchased with His own blood. Why, Paul? Because I know this. 
that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And the imagery is very clear, isn't it? A wolf is going to devour. Also among your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse or perverted things to draw away disciples after them. Watch therefore. Now that's part of the ministry that Paul gave Timothy, wasn't it? But watch thou in all things. Be on the watch. Ministry from official capacity includes watching over the sheep. Watching for what? Grievous wolves. Watching for men to arise up. Watching for things that will carry them away captive. Preaching, watching, enduring, working, fulfilling. 2 Timothy chapter 4. But in Acts 20, he had warned them for the space of three years, day and night, with tears. That's a real threat. You don't cry over something that's not really a threat. That's a real threat. With tears. And then he concludes. And now I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. All right, so there's two ways Paul encourages, like he's encouraging Archippus here, to take heed. One, take heed to the flock. Right? How do you take heed to the flock? Archippus or... Elders and bishops at Ephesus, you feed the church of God. That's, that's a big word. Poimino means shepherd. So it's preaching, it's teaching, it's watching. It's, it's all the things the Bible uh, speaks of when it talks about shepherding the flock. We're under shepherds of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Okay? So we could, we could apply that in some sense to say, uh, take heed in your church membership that you are serving and fulfilling that responsibility, carrying it out to completion as God expects. God expects something from the ministry. He expects something from the church. And those two come together. So take heed to the ministry. Feed the church, which means the church gets fed. The church gets shepherded, which means the church comes under the leadership and submits themselves to the leadership or the elders of the church. That's God's expectation. God determined that is good. And that's the way his body functions. But there's a second way, and it was the first way, but I skipped it on purpose, that the elders are to take heed. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and the flock. If you're losing steam or momentum, you must take heed to yourself first. What would that mean? It would mean taking heed to your own souls as it relates to the Word of God. If Archippus is just feeding, 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 preaching, preaching, serving, serving, but he neglects his own soul, he will lose steam. He will lose momentum. He will grow cold in heart. And he will be going through the motions he may still be on the field. He may still be doing the work. But with no momentum, he's making no progress. You must take heed to your own soul as it relates to the Word of God. And I think that's the connection Paul gives us in chapter 20. When he ends with saying, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. How are you commended to God? He, I entrust you to God. I'm going to deposit you in God's hand. How would you do that, Paul? To the word of His grace. See, if you're in the care of God, then you're in the care of His word. So I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able. The word of God's grace is able to do what? Build you up. Now notice that Paul is first talking to the elders. It's able to build you up. Yes, it's going to build the congregation up, but it builds you up. So when you're taking heed to the Word of God's grace, it is building you up. That's the same word that we saw in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. 7, but I'll start with 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up. In Him. When you take heed to your own soul, you're being built up in Christ. Because the word of His grace is the word about Christ. Rooted, built up, 
established in the faith, the faith once delivered to the saints, because that's where we get the faith from the Word of God, so rooted, being built up, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you. You see the connection? What is going to keep us from being carried away captive? Rooted in Christ, built up in Christ through the Word of His grace. Or as Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he uses illustrations of what it means to be strong in grace and to endure afflictions, he would say, the husbandman, the farmer must that labors must first be partaker of the fruits. Right? You've seen that cook's apron that says, never trust a skinny cook. Right? That the implication is, it's likely not true, but the implication is that the, this man or woman won't eat their own food. <laughs> They're malnourished. See? Never trust a skinny preacher. Now we're talking spiritually, right? See, if we're becoming skinny and malnourished in the Word, what will be the impact of ministry of any kind? It'll just be all formality. It'll be all outward form without the real power of godliness or ministry, which is lovers of God. Right? Men will be lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Having the form of godliness, but having no power of godliness. Because there's no love for God. Right? So, Timothy, Archippus Church, feed yourself on the word of His grace and in the love of His grace for you. His steadfast love for you. His mercy. Feed on that. The farmer must first partake of the fruits. He's got to eat the fruits. And then his labor that goes out is a labor where his soul is being well watered. His soul is being fed. Beloved, if you're losing steam and momentum, which we all can and probably all do at some point, don't we? So easy to lose momentum. Take heed to yourselves. Turn back to the Word of God and take time to feed your souls in the Word of God. And out of that nourishment then you can take heed to ministry that you have received in the Lord and bring it to completion. Okay, secondly, is a group. Luke, Demas, and Nympha. We'll call these the forsaking fellows. The word forsaking means to abandon, to give up something, to renounce something, to turn away from it. Two positive, one negative. Okay. Now, all Christians are called to forsake everything they have, to follow Jesus. Luke 14.34, I think it is. Likewise, he that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple, which we turn that positively means what? To be a disciple, you forsake all that you have. Everything you own is to be renounced. And of course, a couple of weeks ago, we made the point that the way we renounce everything and yet we don't get rid of everything, that's not the call of the Bible, right? Is that you renounce everything Everything as being superior to the gain of Christ. Paul says this about himself in so many words in Philippians 3.7. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, and doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the daughters of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's another way of saying, I have renounced everything, comparatively to the superior gain of Christ. It doesn't mean Paul didn't have anything. It just means he has given it up as anything that rivals the gain and the supremacy or the preeminence of Christ in Colossians 1. As a Christian, you are called to do that. That's your responsibility by grace. That's what we've said we're doing. That's a, that's a fight every day. But that will look different at times for different Christians. For example, Luke and Nympha. They have forsaken all because they're Christians to follow Christ. But Luke is the beloved doctor. So what did he forsake? His career. Right? Now, Nympha doesn't forsake his career, but Luke did. This is more like a missionary that will forsake things, comforts, conveniences, ways of life in their native country to go to a foreign land 
like Luke did. Luke is a physician. We only know that from this one passage. He never said he was a doctor. He didn't even say his own name in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. 52 chapters altogether. One third of the whole New Testament. He's a humble Gentile scholar historian. And Paul says he's a doctor. He could have had a really good life. But he decided he would follow and travel with Paul to participate in that way in advancing the kingdom. And Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4.11, Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. He was with Paul unto his death, to the very end. He forsook his career. Now, Nympha, who is Nympha? Well, Nympha is Nympha. That's all we know about him right here. Five translations say Nympha's a woman. Four translations say Nympha's a man. How do we determine the correct one? Well, the Greek word for Nympha is the same spelling for female and male, like our names today. You know, there's some names, you say it, but was that a man or a woman? You have to look at the person to determine, which doesn't always settle it today. But in that day, it would have, but we can't look at Nympha. The only thing that determined male and female was the accent mark in the word. If it's in one place, it's a male. If it's in another place, it's a female. Textual variants mean there are different manuscripts that put it different places because we have textual variants. So which is it? Not sure. If they think it's a female, they'll put her house. If they think it's a male, they'll put his house. The KJV, along with three other translations, says his house. But rest assured, if Mr. Nympha is married to Mrs. Nympha, nobody comes to the house unless Mrs. Nympha says so. And what does Nympha give up? Well, he gives up his house because the church meets in his house every single Sunday. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just as big as Luke's forsaking. And yet it's different, isn't it? Nympha's probably a wealthy man or wealthy woman. Probably still has job, unlike Luke. But because all have forsaken everything to follow Christ, it's going to look different. So for Nympha, Imagine, sisters and husbands and brothers, every single Lord's Day, heritage comes to your house. Now, there were no mega churches except for Jerusalem, and that, that one got whittled down real quick. So with 50, 75, 100, 150 people, I don't know. And maybe Nympha had servants, I don't know. But still, you know, kids running around, don't touch that. Put that down, please. Don't run in the house. Every single Sunday. Furthermore, it says the church met in his house. So presumably if there were other meetings, Bible studies, prayer meetings, they came to Nympha. Can we come to your house? Sure, come on. What am I doing? See, to forsake all means to renounce everything as the source of your ultimate gain and joy. And that will look different in your sacrifices. But all are called to sacrifice. And so Luke gave up the career, and Nympha gave up his home one day a week. The preparation, the cleanup, that they, church probably helped, but that's still a big task. What have you renounced and given up? What are you giving up in that you've renounced everything to follow Christ? And the expression of that then looks how in your life? What does it look like? And then there's Demas. Demas is negative. We find him. Sorry for that noise. I don't know what I can do to change it, but Brother Kip, if you just want to turn me off, I'll just talk loud enough. Demas forsook Paul. Second Corinthians chapter or Second Timothy four. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he's departed unto Thessalonica. Now here's a negative one. Demas is mentioned here. He's mentioned in Philemon. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy 4. This must have been hard for Paul. We don't know the ultimate outcome of Demas. Was his departure temporary? Was it permanent? We don't know. We don't know. But he was a friend of Paul and he forsook Paul. That must have been a deep wound in Paul because he forsook him while Paul was in prison at Rome. Now, Paul, in that same context, tells us how we cannot be a Demas. He would say, I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me at that day, and not only me, but also all those that love is appearing. Demas loved the world. How do we keep from being Demas? Loving his appearing. Perfect tense. Paul, having seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and God filled him with his own love, the ongoing effect was he kept loving the appearing of Christ. What kept Paul fighting? Demas stopped fighting. Demas lost momentum. Demas quit the fight. What kept Paul finishing his race, his course? Demas, at that point, didn't finish. Again, we don't know if he finished or not by faith. But at that point, he stopped the race. He stopped fighting. How did Paul keep the faith? Demas did not keep the faith. Now you would expect Paul to say, there's a crown of righteousness for all those who keep fighting, keep finishing, and keep the faith. That's what he said with the word love. Because the only way you'll keep fighting, the only way you'll keep the faith, and the only way you'll finish is loving His appearing. That's hope. That's what sustained Paul in the afflictions and the prison and the conflict and the persecution and the beatings and the shipwreck and all that we saw in 2 Corinthians. He just kept loving the coming appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Demas lost sight of that love. And he lost steam and momentum and therefore he went back to the world. Because the love of Christ was eclipsed by the love of this fallen world. The means by which God's keeping power keeps us by faith. The fruit of that is we keep loving is appearing. We keep fighting and finishing and keeping. As God holds us, we're holding. So the fruit of God's preserving grace is the perseverance of the saints by faith and that we steep, keep on fighting. We're on the field. Yes, we can lose steam. Yes, we can lose momentum. But we need to stay on the field because no one gets crowned as champion if they quit the game. And Demas quit the game. I don't know if he finished. We don't have to determine that. God knows. But Demas represents a forsaking fellow that forsook Paul because he ultimately forsook Christ. He forsook the love of Christ. Beloved, in losing steam, take heed. Watch. Encourage one another. Comfort one another. Pursue holiness. In all the fruits that give us the assurance of God's keeping power, His working in us. And the fruit of that is not sinlessness. You understand that. If it is, I'm a Demas. I am a Demas. No, the fruit of it is not sinfulness. It's the recognition of sin. It is the fight of sin. It's the hate of sin. But it's not that you never sin. Gloriously. There's a way to be thankful for that because my experience is that I'm still struggling. I'm still fighting. So be the kind of forsaking fellows that have forsaken all for Christ and so that the love of His appearing is the gain that we're looking for. It's the permanent gain. Because Thessalonica ultimately let Demas down, didn't it? We know that. It didn't give him what he thought it was going to give him, whether he returned or not. It let him totally and completely down. And then lastly, the forgiven fellows. And there's kind of a, a progress here in connection why I chose this order. Forgiven fellows. These are fellows that have a failure to their account. Onesimus and Marcus. Onesimus, we know, is the runaway slave of Philemon. With Onesimus, verse 9, a faithful and beloved brother. Who is Onesimus? He's a brother. That he might, uh, verse 9, who is one of you, which probably means he's either from Colossae or he's in the church, which we know he's part of the church there. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Which means he traveled some with Paul. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He likely wronged Philemon because Paul says, if he wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. 
which means when he left, he probably stole something, owes Philemon. That's a, that's a problem. Paul says, I'll pay for it. Now, presumably, Philemon or Onesimus should repay, but probably had no resources to do it in the position he was in. So that's a failure. And then Marcus. Marcus is named John Mark. He's sister's son to Barnabas. He's related to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, verse 10. If he come, welcome him, receive him. What's Marcus's failure? John Mark in Acts 13. He was with Paul on the first missionary journey with Barnabas. And when they got to Perga, Pamphylia, he says, I'm going home, boys. That doesn't sit well with the Apostle Paul. Now the next journey, the contention was so sharp between Barnabas and Paul, they parted ways. They, they were upset with each other. Paul says, he's not going on another trip with me. Barnabas is the son of consolation. He's his relative. He wants to give him a second chance. He takes John Mark, goes elsewhere. Paul says, I'm going to take Silas. And they, they parted ways. I don't take that to mean that they were no longer friends and they, they, they hated one another, but this, we're not going to do missionary work together again. And then Paul says about Marcus in 2 Timothy 4, take Mark, John Mark, which is believed to be the author of the Gospel of Mark. Take Mark. Bring him with you, because he is now profitable unto me for the ministry. You know that word profitable is used for both Onesimus and Philemon and Marcus in 2 Timothy. He's profitable. You know what that means? He's useful, beloved. We must remember in the kingdom of God, there's going to be failure. Oh, there's going to be failure. But we're all forgiven fellows. Gloriously, we're forgiven. And forgiven fellows means we can be useful fellows and profitable in the kingdom of God. And so Paul speaks highly of these two brothers that have a notable failure against them in Scripture. C.S. Lewis once wrote, no amount of falls will really undo us as if we keep will undo us if we keep picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give up. Like Demas. We don't know what happened to Demas, but the only fatal error is unbelief. The only thing to fear is unbelief. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of His presence. See, to notice the dirt is to notice the sin, is to notice the failure, is to see the need for repentance and change. Do you note the dirt? So Psalm 145, 14, The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raise up all that are bowed down. Presupposes a fall, doesn't it? Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The number of completion. Micah 7, 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Psalm 37, 24, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall... Who's falling? The good man or the good woman. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly, permanently cast down. Why? For the Lord is upholding him with his hand. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Are you a forgiven fellow? As a believer, you are. But you can be a useful fellow in the kingdom of God. As we turn to Christ, who is the faithful fellow, he's the faithful soldier. He's the one that gave His life for you. He's the one that redeemed you. He's the one that received you. He's the one that said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired thee to sift thee as wheat. But I prayed for thee that your faith fell not. Peter failed, but his faith didn't. And what was the fruit of that unfailing faith? The reason is the prayers of Christ. The fruit of it, he wept bitterly. He repented. And then when that angel spoke to the women there to anoint the body of Jesus Christ... He wasn't there. He's arisen as he said. The angel said, he said, go tell the disciples and you tell Peter. He singles Peter out by name. As if to say, you tell Peter, I'm going to use him. His fall was not fatal because I've redeemed him and I've prayed for him. So now, when you're converted, when you're restored, 
Jesus says to all of us, Oh, beloved, go strengthen the brethren. Strengthen one another. Minister to one another. Serve one another. That's the expectation God has laid on us, and that's what He's given us to do. Because we gloriously have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are not serving to get redeemed. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus so that we may serve one another. If you're losing steam, if you're faltering, turn and take heed to Scripture. Turn to Jesus Christ and gain the momentum again because we all lose steam. And be the kind of forsaking fellow that forsakes all that you have and then... God uses you in different ways. We will all be forsaking things in a different way, but we've forsaken all for the supremacy of Christ Jesus. And then remember, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. So in your failure, turn to Christ. And He'll say, go tell the disciples, and even you, I'm going to meet you at Galilee. And we find in Christ the faithful, loving fellow, which is the... the the foundation of anything that we learn about these brothers and sisters in Christ. May the Lord bless us to be this kind of church. Everything we've learned in Colossians, what a glorious book as all the Bible is. And may He bless us to grow from what we've learned and to be uh, such followers of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for forgiving us, for calling us out of darkness into the light. Thank you, Lord, for all the ways uh, that you pick us up. If we pick ourselves up, as the Scripture says, it's only because you are ultimately and decisively picking us up with your own hand. You're upholding us. That's why we rise up again and again, because you raise us up. You raise us up. Thank you, Lord. Bless us to be the kind of church members who received the ministering gifts from you. And now, through your expectation... And your will that we serve those gifts to one another. And look for ways that we can minister to one another. And may we find in this church, which surely there is, Lord, all of these different kinds of fellows are found here in this church. Thank you for that. May your grace empower them and encourage them to continue to be these kinds of fellows. Fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, fellow helpers, fellow companions, fellows of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.